You're listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Captivate and on Patreon. You can get bonus content of our show on either of those platforms or on Apple Podcasts with a private subscription to the Amazal Ministries Podcast Network. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these, he has given us the very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this section of scripture, Peter is listing qualities that will help make knowledge more useful or fruitful. Um, Jerry Bias, why do you think Peter lists brotherly affection and love as qualities that will keep you keep our knowledge from being useless um, i think the force of the new testament especially leads to love and so it in some of our traditions that may be surprising to us because i would have expected for me growing up that your knowledge and understanding doctrine would have probably been at the end of that list so it's very surprising that in you know to godliness even to add brotherly affection or mutual affection, and then to add love as the last one in the list. Maybe shouldn't be as surprising as it is, but when we read our New Testament through a lens of love, we'll see it all over the place. Good stuff. Good stuff. Hey guys, welcome to the Whole Church Podcast. It could be your favorite Church Unity Podcast, could not be. Um, I guess it's more likely than usual, but it's it's not your favorite because TJ isn't here. But we did bring possibly your favorite guest, <laughs> the one and only uh, Jared Bias is here with me, the author of Love Matters More and co-host of the Bible with Normal People podcast. Uh, Jared, welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I, I am so excited to talk through this. Jared is a, uh, a biblical scholar, a great podcaster. Um, one of my favorite podcasts, actually, is, uh, is you and Pete Anzu in the Bible for Normal People. I love that show. And I'm excited today to talk about your book, Love Matters More. Um, it's actually going to kind of feed into a series we're about to do, talking about some of the more controversial topics within Christianity and how we can still find unity despite disagreeing on some of these. And yeah, I, I think the key to all of that is love. And I'm, I'm excited to just do this is our first episode of the year. And I'm excited it's just going to be an episode about love, something that um, I think is probably the fundamental thing of Christianity, as we're going to talk about today. So it's going to be a great episode. So stick in there with us. Um, since TJ's not here, I will go ahead and try to do his parts. Just show me grace, listeners, because I don't know how to do this stuff. <laughs> but uh, if you don't mind checking out the NSL Ministries podcast, the AMP Network site, we have a lot of great other shows out there that uh, kind of show the Bible from different perspectives. And um, of course, you got some other stuff, just, you know, Christian content. That's fun. Check it out. Um, also, if you go to our store, you can get some merch. We have some super comfy T-shirts over there that just have like the whole church logo on it. And, um, you know, verses about unity and caring for one another, which I you know, think it's always good to just kind of basically support one another. Um, 
And with that, of course, comes my favorite form of unity. Uh, you know, it's a great spiritual practice that we do here on the show of uh, silliness, where, you know, we've discovered it's impossible to be in disagreement when you're being as silly as I like to be. So we start with a silly question. Today's an interesting one. Um, and I'm going to answer first, give you time to think about it. Where would you least expect to find a werewolf? Which is, a <laughs> man, it is actually a challenging one for me. Because immediately I want to say like a cathedral or something. But I feel like every monster movie starts there for some reason. Mm. So I, I guess maybe that's a bad answer. Let's go with Chuck E. Cheese. For some reason, I feel like werewolves aren't hanging out at Chuck E. Cheese. Because, you know, typically they only turn at night. It's closed at night. It's more of like a daytime for kids fun thing. So I feel like I wouldn't see a werewolf like hanging out in the ball pit at Chuck E. Cheese. That's where I'm going. Um, Jared, where do you think you're least likely to see a werewolf? Well, I mean, I think my main primary source of knowledge of werewolves probably comes from uh, the movie Teen Wolf that I've seen many a time. Great. But uh, I have kind of an on the nose. I had a couple just in case I didn't know which way I wanted to go. But I, I think the obvious one for me is like a, you know, a, sil a silver bullet factory. Um, I would least expect to find a werewolf there. Yeah, that, that would um, not be Sort of like being enough. around the kryptonite too much. <laughs> um, but the other one I thought too was, this was the Teen Wolf uh, thought I had, was probably the Razor Isle in the, at, at Target. That would be the other one. Because it, it just grows back. There's no reason to do it. Um, yeah. So, you know, you just got to own it. You got to own the hairiness if you're a werewolf. So there's no reason to be in the Razor, razor Isle. True, true. Yeah. I, uh... <laughs> Great, great answers. I actually, what's what's weird is it makes me think of um, was it the One Night Werewolf special that Marvel did on Disney Plus or something like that? And uh, the the whole thing was basically there's like a hunters group, so it was like the place you would least expect to see a werewolf, and of course there there was a werewolf. So maybe they're exactly where you least expect them. That's true. Which makes this question kind of hard. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Let us know what you think, listeners. <laughs> I just want to see people's answer to this. I, I think it's a but as uh, as TJ would like to always tell me that we have to get on to the regular episode and I can't just be silly the whole time. So I guess we'll move on. Uh, one thing, Jared, we found that really helps establish unity in the church is to hear each other's story. So I was curious, uh, would you mind sharing with us some of your faith journey and just how you got where you are today? Yeah, sure. Uh, I grew up in a, a small town in Texas, in, in Amarillo, Texas, and um, grew up in a church where my, my grandmother was uh, a charismatic I traveling minister. Um, so I grew up in a, a charismatic tradition, but also then a Southern Baptist tradition on my dad's side. And so kind of equal parts charismatic and Southern Baptist in my, my faith journey. We went to local churches. And then by the time I was in middle school, we had settled down into, uh, well, I'd say elementary school. I went to kind of a mega church, um, charismatic mega church, and then into hmm. a, uh, a lot of church plants. So it actually, we kind of left the mega church and went to a lot of church plants. And so, you know, the, the drill of putting chairs out and taking them away and uh, every Sunday in the school, uh, you know, auditorium. So that was kind of the, the rhythm. And then in high school, I started going to a Presbyterian church by myself as I kind mm -hmm. of recognized um, it was a different tradition that, that valued more um, of the intellect and thinking through things and doctrine mm -hmm. and, that just felt more my speed and my style. And then I went to Liberty University and uh, majored in philosophy, which shaped my faith in a number of ways and sometimes in, in opposing ways, you know, going to Liberty, mm -hmm. sort of doubling down on the Southern Baptist tradition of it, but then also 
studying philosophy there, which opened up my mind to a whole lot of different ways of thinking and a lot of different questions um, that I would continue to ask for the next couple of decades after that. And then went to seminary at Westminster Seminary, which is a uh, more um, button-down um, Presbyterian-leaning mm-hmm. seminary. And uh, so that also shaped my my uh, my faith in, in a number of ways. Primarily, it's constantly been um, to go back to my childhood, kind of this integration and figuring out how to integrate the, the feelings and the emotions of what it means to be a human and in the intellect mm-hmm. and the thinking parts of our faith. And sort of how do these things go together or don't go together um, when we talk about our Christian faith? Mm. Yeah. So I, I guess what's interesting is you go from this more intellectual side and kind of like drawn more to it, I guess you would say, mm-hmm. maybe more naturally. Yeah. Um, but, but from what I know of your what you do now, especially, you know, work with Pete Anza in this book is a lot less tight fist and a lot more open hand kind of faith. Um, what what? Bridge the gap there for me. Where are you? You leave Westminster. You're focusing on the intellect. How do you get to where you are now with that? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. I think it's doing some uh, some introspection and reflection and recognizing what was drawing me to those things. And and for me, you know, this isn't for everybody, but for me, the conclusion was I had a deep need to feel in control. It, it was a sense of of fear. And needing to be in control. And so what helps you feel more in control than if you can put your arms around God, the ineffable, uh, you know, infinite. If we can understand and, uh, you know, come to answers and conclusions about God, then I would feel safe and I would feel secure and I wouldn't need to control everything. This is all, of course, in retrospect. I didn't think of any of that when I was younger. But so it's kind of that revelation helped me in a lot of ways. And then um, recognizing or seeing maybe the imp- the impact I was having. I'll just speak for me. Definitely, I mm-hmm. saw it in the church and I saw it in others. But for me, I wasn't always a kind and gracious person. I could be a very mean person um, because it didn't matter if I was kind. It didn't matter how I treated people as long as I got them to understand the facts about God. And in my tradition, there was a couple of ways to think about that on the kind of more Southern Baptist side, the the point was to get people saved, right? So it was to learn about the facts so that you could ask Jesus into your heart. And that's kind of what faith is all about. That's all that matters. And then on the other side, the more intellectual side, it was sort of, uh, you know, getting things right about God was kind of the, the perfect expression of faith. The more you knew, the more you could talk theology um, and have your systematics all together about who God is and how God operates in the world. That meant you were a better Christian. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, tell me about your faith community now then. So you told us about kind of like where you came from, where do you connect now? Cause I think for a lot of people, you know, who've either, you know, deconstructed or left some of these more intellectually based, uh, denominations, which, you know, this whole church podcast, we're not saying you have to leave your intellectually based things. I know a lot of people grew up yeah. very emotional and needed to kind of see the that side of things and help them grow and challenge them in a different way. So, you know, we're not, not saying that it's a bad thing, but I'm just curious. Um, a lot of people have a hard time when they left one tradition figuring out where to plug in. Where yeah. where do you plug in now? Yeah. So I've been a member for several years now of a, um, a Mennonite congregation. Um, and so that is uh, what, certainly interesting. All right. I didn't, yeah. I don't know why I just didn't expect that one. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> didn't expect it. Yeah. That's um, good one. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a, um, 
uh, what I appreciate about it is it is a tradition broadly, at least in America, that has missed out on the culture wars of the 70s and 80s and 90s of more conservative Christian traditions that kind of got sucked into that. And so to say you're a conservative Christian comes with a lot of baggage in, in the U.S. because of kind of the filter that it got put through. And even uh, Anabaptist or Mennonite congregations in America that would be, quote, conservative they don't have that same edge to them because they didn't go through the same culture wars. They were sort of separate in, in that way. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, and then secondly, yeah. I appreciate that the emphasis is really on community, mm-hmm. um, a community who, who loves Jesus. And so this, um, at least within our particular congregation, allows for a lot of freedom around what we believe about Jesus and how we, you know, um, I think of it like the difference between a bounded set or a centered set understanding of, of Christianity, um, where it's not, there's certain beliefs that keep you bounded within, are you in or are you out? Um, but rather there's a center, which is Jesus. And you are at different times in your life, closer or further away. Sometimes you're walking towards, sometimes you're working away, but it's a more dynamic relationship where Jesus is always at the center, but we, we are free to all be at different places within, um, the conversation, uh, for where, you know, at different times in our lives and within the community itself for where we find um, ourselves in, in relationship to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Which we're going to talk about a little bit later on, but that there's some of the stuff that you were describing in your book about what you're able to do in your faith community and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's um healthy. It's weird to hear healthy stories <laughs> these days. Um, yeah. So I am excited to dive a little bit more into that. But before we do, I, w- I wanted to ask, do you think it would be difficult for you now to find points of unity with the kind of faith communities that you used to be a part of now that you've kind of grown into something different? I don't I don't think so. Um, I mean, I'm still in relationship. Uh, I have a lot of family members who are still part of those um, faith communities. I have a mm-hmm. lot of friends, you know, that went to Liberty with yeah. and all these, uh, you know, kind of throughout my life. Um, and so I, th- I don't think so. I think what the point I want to make in that, though, is that Unity isn't for me, let's just uh, not talk about things. Um, let's yeah. just uh, always get along. I think unity does not preclude conflict and it yeah. doesn't preclude conviction and standing up for what we believe. It's the wisdom of how we can maintain loving relationships in the midst of that. Um, and, and what does that mean to be in relationship while not agreeing and not being complicit in or complicit <laughs> with things that you disagree with? I, and I think it's it's harder than it may seem, um, but I think it's worth it to try and find that yeah, that space. Yeah. We often have a good laugh at uh, how this podcast was started, where I had left some um, more difficult times in the church and still felt a need to do ministry. I was like, you know, let's just do something easy. And I'm like, unity, that's something, you know, who's going to fight us on unity? And <laughs> the more I'm like, oh, this is not a not an easy topic here. Four years later, I'm like, I, yeah, I was just wrong. Um, mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a good laugh at, at my old thoughts. Um, but, you know, no, it, it's it's definitely challenging. Um, and I'm, I'm glad to hear you still are able to have some of those connections. I know some people, it's harder because of, depending on why you left, right? So if you left for, for sure. like conviction reason, that kind of stuff, I feel like it's easier to do. But some people who leave for like church hurt or that kind of thing, it's like, well, yeah, of course, it's going to be harder to switch back on that. And I don't. Oh, for sure. Yeah. This isn't an episode about church hurt. It's just one of those where I recognize it's not always the case where you're able to have that. So I think it's great when you can have that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So 
we will probably get more into that as we discuss the book. I do want to move forward so we can get to the book. <laughs> so your book is Love Matters More, How Fighting to Be Right Keeps Us from Loving Like Jesus. Um, I just want to say, I got to throw out there. So first of all, this is not a book of, hey, truth doesn't matter. Let's choose love. Here's some examples, you know, because at title, I, I could see where someone might think that this is not a, um, so I know some people who call it like squish theology. That's not what's happening here. <laughs> at all mm -hmm. um what i found what i like the most is i feel like you start the book kind of deconstructing what is truth you're kind of deconstructing that word and then reconstructing it the rest of the book and you do still have some some really great stories at the end of um a group of muslims that kind of choose love and someone choosing love with the lgbtq community and their daughter kind of going through stuff and i was like okay this is you built to the stories. It wasn't, here's the stories. You should be able to get what you want out of it. It was kind of, let's build to it. And then these stories have more meaning with that. Mm -hmm. um, you kind of supplemented truth, I guess, with uh, brotherly affection. <laughs> but yeah, so what was, what was your original inspiration for this? Like, what made you think this book needs to happen? Uh, a, a couple of things. I think uh, the, the one personal was um, I wanted to write a book about truth. I wanted to write a book about truth. And the further I got into it and the further, further I... Again, you know, uh, in my life, I've been a philosophy professor, been a pastor. And so when I started thinking about wanting to write about truth, the more I dug into the Bible and, and these concepts, at some point, I had a kind of lightning bolt moment that said, oh, a book about truth within the Christian tradition is a book about love. So it turned out like, oh, I thought I was writing one thing, <laughs> but it led me to the, to the, what could be seen in some Traditions are some ways of talking about it as kind of, quote, the opposite. And so that's what I was really interested in is what, why would I even think these are opposite things, truth and love? And so that relationship is really what was behind it. But I think more personally um, in my story, there's, there's more to it than that. You know, I was always promoted as a leader in my churches growing up. I was often the leader and it was because I was smart. It's because I could memorize a bunch of Bible verses I can memorize theology. It's because I understood difficult concepts. And I noticed there were a lot of folks, um, many of them women, who, who loved well. They loved our community well. They loved others well in very practical ways, but they weren't lauded and they weren't promoted. They weren't, they weren't seen as the bedrock of the community. It was the people like me who were smart. And that led me back to the Bible to see what it had to say about this relationship. And something just didn't start sitting right with me. Again, kind of what I said earlier, as I started to reflect on, I'm not always like a kind person. I'm, I like being right. There's something in me that really likes being right. And that seems super important to me. And so as I started to question that, these ideas or, or these stories from when I was younger and just noticing how churches function and operate sometimes, that really inspired me to want to give voice to those, again, primarily women in my life who've loved well, and weren't recognized for it. In fact, they were told like, yeah, that's good, but kind of your emotions sometimes gets in the way of you being a good Christian, which means gets in the way of you standing up for truth and telling other people when they're wrong. And I just wanted them to have a perspective that validated the experiences that they had as loving um, mm -hmm. others well and how central that is to our Bible. Yeah, man, I, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. What's interesting is I, I so just full transparency, like I, I read bits and parts and, you know, sometimes, you know, you interview a lot of people about their books and you just don't get through all of the books. But yesterday I, I sat down, 
I, I love audiobooks. It's like my thing. And I was like, I'm, I saw how long it was on audiobook. And I was like, I, I can get through this in a day. So, so I'm listening through and how you, after kind of deconstructing truth, you're, you're looking at what is truth and how everybody has different experiences. So how do we actually know what it is going through like scientific method, all these other things. You give us three different categories of what truth is. And I think that was something I found really helpful because a lot of times when I discuss, you know, there are truths in Buddhism, there are truths in this. I get a lot of pushback from other Christians of, well, no, only Jesus is the truth. And then kind of seeing how you categorize this, realizing, okay, maybe the word truth is too broad and we need these different categories to really speak of this well, because um, life is suffering is something the Bible kind of says, which is the fundamental thing of Buddhism. So it's like, I can't say that's not truth because that's factually incorrect if we're saying the Bible is correct. Like it doesn't, that doesn't mesh. So you broke down these different categories and it really helps me with my own story because um, because you were talking about women. Whenever I was in middle school, I, I was kind of pushing against the faith. and wasn't really sure. You know, tr- you know, when you're trying to make it your own, a lot of times you push back yeah. first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember seeing there was a woman dean at our camp talking to somebody else who done something bad at camp. It was, you know, I won't get into the details, but it was one of those I was watching kind of spying because I was like, I just wanted to see someone to get what's coming to them, get you know, kicked out of camp. This is going to be great. And instead, I saw embrace and love and forgiveness, and that changed my world, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't, you know, it's not like I was a Christian and saved from that moment on. I've, you know, I had other moments, but that moment will always stick out to me. And it's mm-hmm. one where I'm realizing, oh, yeah, it was a different kind of truth. I saw truth in that moment. No one taught me a lesson and I learned it, you know, um, could you could you kind of give us real quick for the, what were those three categories of truth? So people can kind of know what we're talking about. Yeah, it, um, the three were fact meaning and wisdom, if we want to break it down that way, right? And, and in the book, I call them fact truths and meaning truths and wisdom truths to highlight that they're all aspects of what we mean usually when we use the word that's true. And, and that happens in terms of unity. Sometimes we're just, we're not, uh, we're not hearing each other. We're not hearing the nuances. So you're saying the word true, but you don't necessarily mean it the same way I mean it. And then we think we're disagreeing when really we're just saying different things. And so that it helps me to to get clear on what we're talking about. So yeah, fact truths, which is what's true if I I kind of have this quip of that's what's true if everyone were dead, right? Mm-hmm. It's just kind of yeah. the brute facts. The reality is if there were no people, this is just what would be there. Yeah. Um, and then meaning truth is as it f- is filtered through um, our perspectives, right? And what something means to me, um, or meaning is in the relationship. It's what it means between us. Um, and then wisdom is how we package all that into a life well lived. It, it is headed toward actionable um, impact in our life. Mm-hmm. So when the Bible says Jesus is truth, what kind of truth are we talking about? Yeah. And I think it's in my understanding of truth. Um, it one I don't know if I even say this in the book, but one way of thinking about that is that he's not saying three different things, but he's saying the same thing three different ways. I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life, meaning all of those are the same thing. The, mm-hmm. the, the path, um, the life, the truth, those are the same. And so we get this in uh, the, the uh, I was going to use the word Yohanin, but I won't, in John, one, one two, first, second, third John, mm-hmm. we get this language quite a bit of walking in the truth. And, mm-hmm. and so there's this imagery of the way being the truth. And in order to get to the truth, you have to walk in the way. And so there is this, not this disconnect of truth is out there disconnected from a way of life, but that the way of life is the truth. 
Um, and that's summarized by Jesus as saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, no one comes to the Father except through me. What does through me mean? It means through the way. It means through the truth. It means through this life. Um, and so that is a, a broader understanding. Then again, um, interestingly enough, we often hear, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And we somehow get out of that, that what it's saying is you have to say a prayer that invites Jesus into your heart and then you're safe forever. And it's like, that needs some unpacking. I'm not saying that's true or not true, but that's yeah. not completely obvious to me that that's what he's saying either. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, it's interesting. I think that formula kind of comes from, um, is it Romans or, or Corinthians where, where it says, I told you I was bad at <laughs> references where, where it's the, um, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So they, they say that is in the Bible. So they kind of use that to say, this is saying the sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer is scripture canon, basically. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's sort of where that comes from, right? Yeah. Yep. And I, that's, um, yeah, that's Romans, which yeah, okay. is not surprising I, if you've I, I heard of the Romans, like Romans road. road. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it's very, again, yeah, we're going to get into that. That gets into Bible interpretation, but uh, <laughs> yeah. yes, that's where it comes from. Yeah. Which mm -hmm. is where uh, opinion is uh, different from fact, right? <laughs> right. And uh, all our interpretations are really opinion and uh, we got to learn humility. That's, that's a real trick there. I mean, yeah. we don't talk about that much in the book, but man, to be able to distinguish opinion and fact and, and, mm -hmm. It's, it's tricky for sure. <laughs> is there a, do you have like a, like a, a, a three keys to what, or is this, is it a more nuanced thing than a structured it's, thing? Well, and this, you go back to kind of talking about the beginning of the book. The beginning of the book is really to help us understand that truth is a very complicated concept that we have oversimplified. So we kind of have this yeah. uh, kind of, um, I think, unreflective um, assumption that truth is objective and it's out there and you just have to perceive it. And it just is way more complicated than that. I mean, thinking about the facts and I, you see me in quote, I don't mean alternative facts. Yeah. I just mean how we think about facts. What was true 500 years ago as a quote fact is not true now. Yeah. It's not a fact. And so what science helps us see is that we can call things facts now, but they're only as good as we build on them theories and they help us do things right um so we have we have facts and those might get overturned we talk about you know the difference between newtonian physics and quantum mechanics mm -hmm. that may change all kinds of stuff. that's not to say that <laughs> the newtonian way of thinking about things didn't yield a lot of wonderful results but we're not talking about facts then we're talking about what it means then mm -hmm. and so it just gets, yes, it does get so complicated. And I think for me, you know, as someone who taught philosophy, I can get really into the weeds and I get really nerdy about it. But for the average person, it's just saying, please recognize when you say truth, you're saying something very complicated. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe we can be a little more humble when we talk about things like facts versus our opinion um, yeah. uh, of things that are very complex systems, whether it's politically, religiously, um, or politio, political religiously, like those are that's a, that yeah. combining that's its own complication, right? Yeah, I um not not focus too much on myself, but it, it, it's interesting just reading this book how much it gives words to my own stuff. Like I've just I I, I really loved it for that. I um I know for a long time I kind of had it as my mission because I could kind of tell something in the church wasn't right. This is like in retrospect, you're always able to analyze yourself really easily, right? <laughs> like like I could kind of tell something was 
not quite right. And I think I had it in my head that it must be the facts were wrong, mm -hmm. that they didn't know enough. So I had to learn more than everybody else and teach the church to be better. Right. <laughs> like yeah. very arrogant. Like I'm looking at the back. I'm like, dude, you need Jesus. <laughs> but I'm looking at that. And what was, I think what was interesting is the moment for me where I kind of realized this isn't it. Oddly enough, after I had a really big car accident and uh, my octal nerve has changed, like damaged permanently. And now if I smell a bed of roses, I sometimes just smell what smells kind of like burnt gravy. Mm -hmm. But in my head, I know that's my experience. Roses do not smell like burnt gravy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, oh, and that's where it starts to click for me. I'm like, oh, so my experience is informing what I think is fact. And sometimes that's not always fact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. And and so what we mean by fact is when we can get as much collective experience together, we start to mm -hmm. piece together this thing we call a fact, right? Mm -hmm. Because the challenge is none of us have the God's eye view, right? None of us can smell a bed of roses as a bed of roses is. We just smell a bed of roses as it passes through our own nose. <laughs> and so we need as many noses as we possibly can get. And then we start <laughs> to piece together, maybe this is what a bed of roses smells like. We don't know because none of us can smell it kind of quote in the perfect God's eye, you know, God's eye or God's, God's nose. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but, and I say it that way because what it starts to do is start to invite diversity mm -hmm. and more voices into this picture of what's true and what facts are. Yeah. Where in the old way of thinking about it, diversity was a distraction because there's really only one way to see it. And anybody else who disagrees with you is just wrong. But there is a sense in which, why don't we bring all these experiences together and see and test what's good? And that begins to inform how we think about God and our role in the world. I'm going to get really geeky for a second. So we have another podcast called Systematic Ecology. And uh, we've been doing a series going through um, the different anime episodes with One Piece. And uh, one of my favorite arcs, it's um, the Drum Island arc, for those who care. Uh, but you, they meet a new character who... I'm just, I'm not getting into the details. The important thing was at one point, two of our main characters. So see this character go, Oh, he's a monster. That's so cool. And they think it's awesome. All that guy heard was they called him a monster. And it goes through this whole backstory of how damaging that was for him and like how harmful. And then later in that same arc, they jump in front of bullets and are like, no, this is our friend. And to them, friends, just a word. They're just like, yeah, yeah, this is our friend to him. He's had only one other person ever call him friend. Mm -hmm. So it was like, oh, man, the, the meaning behind that. So the, the fact was they said, oh, monsters are cool. They said, friend, it wasn't a big deal for their experience. From his experience, they completely altered his entire world. All of his life changed around those two words that to them were just throwaway terms. <laughs> yeah, it's and a great example. You look at the Bible. It's like, uh, how am I supposed to expect that I'm having the same meaning as St. Augustine did, you know, 1400 years ago right. with a whole different life and culture? And it's like, that's uh, no, we're pro probably not. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So sorry. I know we got a little bit of a tangent there, but I, I was curious because, you know, a lot of this we're talking about churches that were very fact based and how we actually love and truth are kind of the same. I don't know if we hit on that yet on the podcast, but that's something you get in the book a lot mm -hmm. and how it was often missed in stuff that, you know, I, I'd say the same kind of church we both grew up in. I grew up kind of Pentecostal. People called our church Baptocostal. So, yep. <laughs> yeah. But um, I'm curious, was this book written like with the intention of people who grew up like us as the audience to kind of, you know, show them that this is more important? Is it written for people who kind of 
are still in it or outside of it? Like, what was your intended audience? Like, who were you imagining reading this? Yeah, book? I think for me, it, it didn't cross those those lines at all. It was just for anyone who has struggled with the relationship between truth and love, right? A lot of us heard growing up, um, speaking the truth in love, um, you know, Paul and Ephesians. And that was used, there was a lot of meaning put into that, of what that actually meant. And so there, for us, again, for me, there was a struggle. There was a struggle between standing up for truth and showing love and sort of, we, we see this even in our political conversations of the bleeding heart liberals and the like heartless conservatives that only care about the dollars and cents and the number. It's like we, we've created this bifurcation. And so the book is really for anyone who struggles with that. How do we mm. make sense of this as Christians? Yeah. Yeah. Really ironically, I, um, so I, I mentioned the series we're doing coming up soon. So it'll start in February. For those listening, we're going to start in February. It's going to be called Controversial Unity. And I, uh, for when we do series like this, I come up with some questions that we're going to ask everybody. And we do stuff like that. And, and I thought what was funny, I listened to this book while I did the outline. And we have a, a, a series where we're going to do a segment. It's like hot seat. We're going to ask people a bunch of questions, get their controversial takes. Like, what is good music? You know, what's your worst take on a movie? That kind of thing. And we're also going to do some theological questions in there. You know, what's something that you learned that you kind of unlearned kind of questions. Um, and I think we're going to end every one because of your book. <laughs> Is truth more important than love? Like, I'm just, I'm so interested to hear how everybody answers that question. Like, I I think I know you would answer that after. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Um, But yeah, no, I I love that. I love the premise there. And I love, um, I think it is something that I really feel like you can't have grown up Christian and not struggled with this idea, Mm -hmm. at least not in the modern American culture. Right. So, yeah, I I think it's basically a book for everybody, I'd say, maybe. Um, I very tempted to have my my agnostic friend read it because I'm like, I actually think he'll find some of this stuff interesting, especially this is what I want to get to next. And this is an unintended segue. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You talk about a program you did where it was for people going to church for other people who didn't really believe in God themselves or weren't sure if they believed in God. Um, Why why would you make this program? Like to me, I'm I'm reading it. I'm like, that's super cool. Then I was like, wait, why do people why would people go to church in the first place? (laughs) You know, I feel like that's a lot of pressure to go to this whole program when you're like, I don't even believe in this thing. Yeah, it, it was a very unique context. So I was a pastor at a, char- uh, a large church. So we had about 3,500 people. And so within that context of that many folks, we inevitably had a lot of people who it was part of their culture. Like they grew up Christian, but they weren't Christian, but their spouse wanted the kids to be Christian. And so they went along. And so there were a number of people who would go to be supportive of other family members to because they wanted their kids in church, even though they didn't believe in anything. Um, and so we just thought, let's gather those people together instead of making them sit through a sermon every Sunday that may or may not be relevant to them or may not make sense to them. Um, it wasn't year long, but, you know, every spring we would do like an eight week um, class um, called Four Skeptics Only, where the goal for me when I led it was just to let people in a church setting ask their deepest questions and realize they were not going to be struck down, you know, by lightning. Yeah, yeah, I uh this is weird because I, I do believe in God and everything. Like I, I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus. But but I was reading the concept and I'm like, I kind of wish more churches had this because even though the, the problem I have is I miss some like old Southern Baptist potluck. Right. And I miss like mm-hmm. my community at the church I grew up with and different stuff. There's just some stuff they teach that I'm like, I 
I love you guys, but I disagree enough. Not that I'm like, oh, you're all sinners are going to go to hell or anything like that. It's just kind of like, I'm not comfortable sitting here listening to this because I'm like, "Ah, that's not that's not how I think the Bible should be handled. You know, I'm open to being wrong, but it's just one of those where "Mm, this is challenging. And I would love it if there was just a class of, hey, I could still have the same community and then just sit in here and ask questions to somebody else. Yes. Yeah. That is fascinating. How how big was the turnout for that? I'm just out of curiosity. Oh, I, I usually had probably between 12 and 20. Hmm. And the goal wasn't like get them to believe in Jesus at the end or anything like that. And it was just kind of. No, not, not when I let it. it. Definitely not. It was just yeah. I was very curious to hear everybody. And it was just to have the conversations. And each of the eight weeks, we talked about a certain perspective on Jesus or God or the church or the Bible. And just kind of uh, I would bring. I would be the antagonist where I would bring mm-hmm. common objections so that they didn't even have to bring it up. They could just say like, Oh yeah, mm-hmm. me too. Yeah. I'm that, that's mine. I, I, I have that question too. Yeah, Kind of ease the tension. I like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Man, see, that's cool. That's a, I feel like that's uh loving your neighbor. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. That might, that I, might hope so. that. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. So I think the other thing, uh, actually this, this was for me currently, a lot of it was giving words to stuff I already experienced or felt, but I, I think the thing that I found most challenging that I'm even like, going back and looking at my own life today and just kind of like, mm, do I need to rethink things? <laughs> you talk about how Israel made the golden calf and what idols really are. Um, could you unpack some of that for those who haven't read your book yet? Um, this is like, this is like the big teaser, everybody. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a big aha for me to read through Exodus 32. And it's amazing what comes out when you take the time to read familiar Bible stories slowly and unfamiliarly, um, just to kind of really understand what's happening. And so you read through Exodus 32. So it's the story of the golden calf. So Moses is taking too long up on the mountain and the people are getting restless and they're sort of like waiting for God to direct them. It's like, you brought us out of Egypt. What are we doing here? Um, And you know, there were grumblings like, well, maybe God has taken out Moses and now we were leaderless. And so Aaron's down there as kind of Moses's helper. And uh, Moses configures this uh, golden calf and holds it up and says, behold. And uh, what I never noticed before in this story is that when he does that, he says, he doesn't say, behold, a random God. Now you should worship this God. Mm-hmm. And so that's usually what we think of idols, a foreign god, right? Which is, that is the case later, later in, in the Bible. But in this case, he doesn't say that. He says, behold, Yahweh, hmm. this is the God who brought you out of Egypt. So he's not actually asking them to worship a different God. He's, he's asking them to worship Yahweh in this particular way that isn't true to the nature of God. Hmm. And that, for me, was a huge aha to say, oh, how many of us are so... Um, solidly sold out on a concept of God that's idolatrous. And it's not a different God. That's easy to identify. <laughs> we, you know, I grew up thinking there, there was all these devil <laughs> worshipers out and like Halloween was a big no-no because all the like de- demonic, yeah. it's like, I haven't never seen any of that, but I've seen a lot <laughs> of us worship Yahweh as an idol. Um, and by that, I mean, worship the God of Israel in a way that's serving me, um, serving my preferences, my experiences, serving, you know, these things that are maybe God is bigger than, than what we think. And so that was just a big aha for me um, mm-hmm. to think about the, the calf is not something foreign, but is called Yahweh, the God who brought you out of Egypt. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I am. Um, I, I think the thing that killed me of that, cause you kind of brought up 
they made that the idol. And sometimes we hold up our Bibles and say, this is God, or we hold up truth and say, this is God, um, yeah. whatever we mean by truth, you know? <laughs> um, and I think what killed me is I go back to an image that I had. And what's weird is that it was a very spiritual and meaningful moment to me when I was just holding my Bible, feeling as though this is me embracing God. And now I'm thinking, is that just idol worship? <laughs> Do I need to like, because that was a meaningful moment for me, but I'm like, uh, did I? I don't know. You know, you still have to exp even your own experiences. You got to question it. And I'm like, um, yeah. So that's what I'm, I'm still wrestling with because. Yeah. I'm you glad know. you, yeah. You, I'm glad you connected the dots because that's ultimately my conclusion is I think too many of us have the Bible has become our golden calf, mm -hmm. not only our Bible, but our interpretation of the Bible. And so it goes a couple of layers deep. Mm -hmm. Our conclusions about reading, uh, our conclusions about God via our reading of the Bible have become an idol. Um, yeah. So I, I'm glad you connected that. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it, it's one that I don't, it's weird when you're doing a podcast and you don't have your answers yet. Like I'm still struggling with this one. It's like a dot, dot, dot text. And I'm yeah. like, I hate that. I'm sorry, guys. But I mean, I mean, I'm even thinking of um, how in Islam, there's this belief that in the actual Arabic words of the Quran, like in the words, not the text, not the book, but in the words is God. And how many times I kind of did that with my own belief. And it's like, I'm not Muslim, I'm Christian. And, you know, not to condemn Muslims, I'm just thinking of it as mm -hmm. I was treating my belief as if it is something that maybe exists outside of my own religion and isn't my religion. Um, and in your book, you even kind of point out uh, the word of God isn't talking about the Bible. It's talking about Jesus when it says the word of God. I'm, Ooh, <laughs> yeah, that's some challenging stuff. Um, yeah. So I did want to, you know, as we're wrapping up, um, I'm going to make them. You have to go to the book. There's a fantastic story of Muslims being good Samaritans in your book and what it means to choose love over truth. Um, a great example was uh, the mother, you know, with her LGBTQ plus daughter kind of learning, maybe not to agree. I'm not sure she ever got to the agree point, but was mm -hmm. the supporting point was the part that I was like, okay, that's meaningful. And even stepping in for parents who wouldn't go to their kids' weddings. And I'm just like, oh, wow. Okay. This is big. Um, and just, you know, prioritizing love over being right and over all of these other things. Um, what, what would you say at the end a, to those who are like, oh, this is just someone who's trying to do away with theology and, you know, because, you know, I feel like there's always going to be that person who's like, oh, you just couldn't come up with truth. So you're trying to replace it. Um, and then B, if you had to just summarize in your own words, what is the main takeaway that you want people to have when they read this? Mm -hmm. All right. What was question one again? Uh, to those who might criticize it as a trying to replace doctrine with love. Oh, um. Yeah, I mean, I would say that's a hundred percent what I'm trying to do. Um, <laughs> is it's and, and again, it's not. I, I appreciate how you started the entire podcast. This is not love matters exclusively. Yeah, it is love matters more. And mm -hmm. so my my main point, and this is not my main takeaway, but but kind of the main argument here, if there's an argument, it's that love and and truth have a relationship, mm. and it's not that love that truth matters more. It's that love matters more. There, there is a means to an end, and which one is the means and which one is the end? And it seems to me, and you know, very fitting that we started with Second Peter one because list after list, both Paul and Peter and John, um, we can point to, and Jesus in there is no greater command than these: love the neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself, um, love the Lord your God, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, everything in uh, the writings can be summed up in this, right? So we have these 
um, examples again and again, these lists, um, these statements, these proclamations that end up with love. Mm-hmm. Right? Almost no place do we have proclamations and lists that ends up with knowing something about, mm-hmm. right? If anything, we have warnings, you know, knowledge puffs up. Um, we have some warnings against that. Now, it, that's not to say that the Bible doesn't think knowing, right, is important, like we talked about earlier with Romans. And so I think when people try to make it a binary, a black or white, that's what I'm trying to resist. It's not black or white. It's not a binary. It's not either or. We don't have to choose. What I would encourage is that we gain knowledge so that we can love better. Mm-hmm. And some people will dismiss the so that and say, yeah, it's important that we know. And they forget what I think is the more important step, that we know so that. Um, without the so that, uh, we get it wrong. Sure. Like, we get it wrong. Um, and so for me, the main takeaway is um, that we allow love to guide us into the truth. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, yeah, truth and sound doctrine matter, but they, they matter so that. I like that a lot. Um, I think the litmus test, this will be my last thing with the book. Um, the litmus test that I really like you kind of presented is more of if your facts, if your truth or whatever is causing you to act certainly angry and lashing out at people and know that it's not truth because truth is love. And it's, it's just one of those, you painted picture after picture of people getting really heated and angry at family members, different stuff. And it's, yeah, that was an opinion that uh, you wanted them to have your same opinion. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a hard pill to swallow. It's hard to like recognize. And then um, I love that you didn't just kind of leave it out there. Love's more important. He also includes kind of a segment of kind of breaking down what it looks like to disagree with people well and to talk about these things well. So I highly recommend everybody grab the book, read that and uh, maybe practice it. You know, maybe, perhaps <laughs> I think it would be a, a better world if we all did. Um, that being said, we do have one last thing we do before our wrap up. We ask, we like to ask every guest if you had to provide just a single tangible action, something that somebody could do right now that would help engender church unity. Um, we already asked you kind of about the communal level, but on an individual level, what is a practical thing our listeners could go do right now to show that they're prioritizing love and unity? Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. I would maybe say it in two parts. I think part one is listen with insatiable curiosity. I think mm-hmm. listen with genuine curiosity uh, to people's experiences, their opinions, what they have to say. And then two, I think believe people's experiences. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily believe them as fact, yeah, but believe them as their experiences. Believe that I smell roses as burnt gravy. (laughs) You don't have to believe that they do smell that way. Correct. Correct. Exactly. That's a great example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That when when someone tells you their experience, take it seriously. Um, And not, well, here I have a list of the facts over here. And when I compare it to your experiences, it's uh, they don't match. And therefore, your experience is invalid. Right. So I think listening with curiosity and then believing people's experiences. And if we all did that, like if we all just, just kind of fundamentally changed how we listen and, and behave in that way. What do you think we would see change? My hope would be that we would find a space between what people are saying and how we can love in the midst of that. Like, I, I think some people think that if you're wrong, it requires a certain response. And for me, listening and believing people teaches me that 
I can let people, um, I can let people be wrong. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay if people are wrong. Like, I think that's what scares a lot of people. Um, I hate to break it to you. I don't know if you looked around in the world the last four years, but there's a lot of people getting a lot of things wrong. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. Um, so I think listening and, and validating or believing people's experiences allows me to create that distance where it's like, I don't have to have that knee jerk reaction when I think someone's wrong. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, you talk about in the book too, learning to love ourselves being an important thing. And, uh, you know, I, I wonder does that go hand in hand with also allowing yourself to be wrong? Yeah. yeah, I think it goes not only that, but I think, I think, yeah, I think we have a lot of um, insecurities that get triggered when we're in disagreement with other people. And I think not that this is always true, but I think sometimes um, the argument stems from my own uncertainty. Because mm -hmm. I realize when I'm fully grounded in my own understanding of things, I don't get reactive at all. Um, but whenever somebody questions me and it it starts to pinprick my own insecurities because i'm not fully sure oh sorry about that and i'm not fully sure about it then i think that's when it, that happens yeah yeah i um i find myself very seldomly getting angry at the uh flat earthers and the <laughs> out there like yeah believe that i guess sure yep exactly yep that's a great example oh man so one thing we like to do as we wrap up is our God moment where we just kind of share something in the last week or, you know, whenever that we've seen God in it can be, you know, small moment, big moment. Um, doesn't particularly matter. Actually, it doesn't have to be in last week either because I forgot we don't do that anymore because sometimes we don't record every week. <laughs> um, and uh, I think, you know, this is going to be I guess this will be a big one is kind of seeing. So I have a dog who's very dramatic. Um the last time I took him to the vet, he very expensive charge because they ran all these tests just so the vet could tell me, oh, he's pretending to be sick because your cat was sick the week before and he thought the cat got too much attention. <laughs> like, great. So I was very slow to take him to the vet this time because, you know, he, he's kind of acting like he's hurt or whatever. He jumped off the bed and he yelled and I'm like, mm, he's not limping. I feel like maybe he's overreacting. And when we did take him, we found out that a lot of his like weird things because something I hadn't heard of, like he slipped his disc in his shoulder and apparently dogs, the way their vertebrae are, messes with a lot of other things that can't lean over to eat. They can't walk quite right. I'm like, oh, that's strange. And it's one of those. Um, I guess I didn't believe my dog's experience <laughs> partially because he lied to me before. <laughs> but um, It was just funny. Just kind of dealing with the frustrations and then how I immediately went from frustrated to, oh, I bet you're just pretending to be sick to oh my God, let me stop everything. Do I have to work? Let me take care of this poor little boy. <laughs> and just thinking, um, that's just the love that I feel like God shows me all the time. And I'm like that, um, man, yeah. Because I I sometimes am like, whoa, it was me. Life is awful. It's like, what's wrong? Well, you know, somebody else is getting more attention than me. God, why are they so well off and so blessed? And I'm over here. <laughs> and it's like, mm -hmm. that sometimes, uh, you know, I'm actually hurt and need God. And he's there for me all the time. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's good stuff. Sorry. Mm -hmm. I feel like that was like such a like cheesy pastor analogy, but it's just, you know, that's how that's just how I look at life. <laughs> so, um, Jared, did you have uh, anything where you've seen God in recently that you wanted to share with us? I think just a, 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 lately it's been a lot of um, moments of surrender. I mean, there's a theme here of feeling sometimes that to feel safe, I need to control everything and coming mm -hmm. bumping up against some times and circumstances and just um yeah, areas in life of feeling a little overwhelmed, feeling like there isn't more I can do here. 
and then using that moment to say, maybe I can just take a break and, and breathe and surrender, um, mm -hmm. surrender to the situation, surrender to the other people in my life and trust that um, we'll figure it out. Yeah. You know, um, it doesn't have to all be on my own back with my own efforts. And so that's a moment of grace for me, for sure. Amen. Good stuff. Good stuff. So with that then, guys, uh, we do ask if you enjoyed the episode that you share this with a friend, enemy, or a cousin. Um, again, not sure why you have enemies, but it's on the list. So, you know, just think somebody who makes you a little upset and share it with them. Maybe uh, they'll learn to love better and you'll learn to love them better. It'll be great. <laughs> Of course, we do prefer you share with cousins. Cousins are more likely to listen. But, uh, you know, just me. Uh, also, make sure you uh, you go over to Captivate. You can subscribe for some bonus content over there. Or you can just leave a one-time tip if you just want to support the show. And, you know, every dollar helps. We are poor. <laughs> so, um, also, don't forget to check out the other shows on the Anzal Ministries Podcast Network that we mentioned earlier. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Next week, we're going to be interviewing Brianna and Matthew Pinfold about the millennial perspectives on ministry today. Um, then we're going to be doing another roundtable discussion on tithing and church memberships. Following that, we're going to be starting a mini-series that I mentioned a few times this episode called Controversial Unity, discussing how we can have unity while disagreeing with hot topic items like LGBTQ issues, speaking in tongues, biblical inerrancy, a lot of stuff like that. We'll have some exciting guests uh, returning. Pete Inns, Tom Ord, Trip Fuller, Trimper Longman III, a um, lot of great people. Really excited to do that. And finally, at the end of season fun, Francis Chan is going to be joining us, even though he has still not quite been made aware of it. Hopefully one of you guys will tell him so he becomes aware of it and <laughs> joins the show. All right, guys, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll uh, see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Again, you could always sponsor our show at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast or on captivate.fm or on Apple Podcasts. You can also leave us a one-time tip through Captivate. Thank you for listening.